Thank you for joining us here at Life Church. It's an honor to share God's word with you today. Our prayer is that you will connect with Jesus Christ as you hear his word online. We'd love to have you visit one of our upcoming gatherings. For more information, visit us online at www.liferva.org or contact our church offices and we'll be happy to help you in any way that we can. Let's go now to one of our recent services where you can experience a life-giving message from God's Word. Quite as much energy as the Coley's, but uh, I already did preach once, so I'm a little tired. No, I'm just kidding. It's good to see everybody here today. Excited to be in the presence of the Lord, and I can't think of a better place I'd rather be. Can you say amen? Amen, amen. amen. Uh, today is the final week of our series, Kingdom, that we've been doing for the last three weeks. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, which can be found in the book of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And I'm very thankful uh, to Pastor Thompson for having allowed me to have this opportunity to share this series with you. Um, as we've talked about, Jesus is out with his disciples, and he sits down on the Mount of Olives, and he begins to teach his disciples. And as he does, a large crowd begins to gather to hear the amazing teachings of this man who at this point, uh, really, they were just beginning to recognize this man as being something unique, something different. Uh, he was an extraordinary man. Obviously, we know him. He was God in flesh. But at the time, they just knew he, he, he was a good teacher and he had a lot of good things to say. And so they didn't fully understand yet what Jesus was really all about. But the Sermon on the Mount, if you study it in its entirety, is primarily a sermon that teaches his disciples and us today who follow him, how we should live as members of the kingdom of heaven. It's important to know, I've mentioned it every week, that the primary theme of the entire three chapters is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom that Jesus calls us all to be a part of. Within Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that he shares with those in attendance that day, and within each of us, he shares with us principles of life and how we should live as members of the kingdom of heaven. He deals with the character of the citizens of his kingdom. He, he deals with the responsibilities that we all have as citizens. He gives a model for prayer, uh, which is really the communication system of his kingdom. He commands all of us to uh, share the message of his kingdom, and he commands that the members of his kingdom ought to be fruitful. Uh, within that three chapters, uh, Jesus gives us some amazing principles that uh, we really truly can live by, and it gives us great understanding of what it meant to be a member of the kingdom. And that's what we want to talk about today. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we're going to start there in just a moment. As a Christian, we're all called to be a part of a kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. And then God has established it. It is a spiritual kingdom. It is designed to last when everything else has passed away. And so these chapters in Matthew all sew together an amazing message uh, that I love. It's one of my favorite passages of the Bible. It is rich and full of so much wisdom and revolutionary thinking. And this morning, I'd like to call your attention to, again, Matthew 7. It's the final chapter of the Sermon on the Mount. I believe this chapter reveals some things about our attitude and about our actions that help solidify our place in the kingdom of heaven. I believe this chapter is really about choices. And I've titled my message today, Kingdom Choices. Kingdom Choices. There is a right way and a wrong way. Do you believe that? Jesus said he was the way, and today... I believe we can choose to follow the right way, his way, the way he intended for all of us to live. First of all, we must realize that God wants everybody in his kingdom. Second Peter 3 and 9 says that the Lord isn't really slow about his promise, as some people think. 
No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So God wants everybody in his kingdom, and yet we know that not everyone will be in his kingdom. So there must be choices that we are left to make, things that we do or we don't do, that determine whether we are members of the kingdom or of heaven or not. So let's begin, Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. It says, Do not judge others, and you'll not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye, when you can't see past the log that's in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you can see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Now, if you remember from last week, we talked a lot about Jesus reaching for those in the crowd who they thought they were righteous, that they thought they were holy, but their righteousness was really only skin deep. And he described them at one point as being uh, like a graveyard, whited sepulchers or whited tombstones uh, that on the outside looked really pretty, but inside were just full of dead men's bones. And Jesus, he, went, he wants to straighten them up, and he wants them to live right. He wants them to change, but he's extremely frustrated because their actions in many cases were designed to belittle or to put down or to stand in judgment over those who seemed to be less spiritual than what this religious group appeared to be. He called them hypocrites. Now, what Jesus is dealing with here is primarily an attitude of judgment or criticism. How many of you know that sometimes we can be so critical of one another and so critical of the church and so critical of the pastor and so critical of our neighbors and so critical of everything that's happening all around us. We can begin to take on almost a sour spirit. Don't look at anybody, but do you know anybody that's got a sour spirit? Yeah. Everything rubs them the wrong way. They look at everyone from a position of judgment and they inform everyone of the wrong they see being done. Jesus here is endeavoring to show that members of his kingdom make a better choice. They had to choose to not be judgmental and critical. You can be like the hypocrites if you choose, the Pharisees, the scribes of his day, and you can sit in judgment and you can criticize others for the speck in their eye, the little bit of dirt on their face. Or you can be real enough to acknowledge that I'm not the judge and who am I to criticize your speck when I got my own stuff that I'm dealing with over here. The Bible tells us that we are to edify or to build up one another. There are times when we choose to build up ourselves to the detriment of others. Have you ever been around somebody who made themselves feel better by tearing apart someone else? That's not the way God intended it. Have you been around somebody who, who, who spent all their time trying to cast your attention in a different direction? I, I tell my wife there are people that would make great magicians because they are constantly running a game of misdirection. I'm going to call your attention to the speck in my friend's eye over here, so maybe you won't look over here behind door number three and see all the stuff that's in my closet. The choice that God tells us to do is to not judge, to not criticize, but rather to be an encourager, to look for ways to build one another up. Notice Jesus doesn't say you can't help your brother out. He doesn't say you don't help your brother out with the speck that's in his eye. He says, first take the log out of your own eye, 
then you'll have the ability to see the speck better and help your brother out. If Jesus was sharing this message today, perhaps he would say it this way. Stop looking around and looking at the lives of others thinking you can determine their spiritual makeup by what you can see. Only I can see their heart, and I can see your heart too. Instead, why don't you look at your own heart? Deal with the things that are there that I'm not pleased with in you, and then you'll be better able to be an encouragement to someone who needs it because you've dealt with the things in your life that you know displease me. Amen? Got to get rid of that, that spirit of judgment. Now, the second attitude I think Jesus deals with, or the second choice really that we can make, is to choose the way of persistence. Many are quick to give up. Many are quick to quit. But Jesus suggests that we should keep going, keep trying, keep pushing forward. Lisa talked about it a few moments ago. Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. It says, keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Verse 9, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, I believe sometimes we ask God for things, and after a while, when he doesn't answer in the timing that we thought he should or would, we kind of give up. It's hard to keep coming back to the same thing over and over and over again, isn't it? After all, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about it last week, Jesus even said when you pray, you don't have to babble on and on and on because your Father knows what you have need of before you ever ask. So is this different what he's saying now? Is Jesus somehow saying something that maybe he's telling us we should babble on and on and on? No, if you remember last week, we were talking about Jesus really combating a Greek practice of sitting hours on end in front of a, of a statue of a God and chanting on and on, thinking somehow by the number of words that they would wear their God down and let him somehow gain his attention and let him answer. And he says, you don't have to pray that way. Your father knows what you have need of even before you ask. But here he's addressing something a little bit different. If you remember last week, I used the illustration of a child who will continue to ask for the same thing over and over and over and over and over, and you can join me over and over and over and over. And you know, you know that they're going to keep doing it, and yet you know you're never going to give in because the thing they are asking for is not good for them. You as a parent, as a father, as a mother, you know what's best, and so God, as our father, acts the same way. When we ask for things that are not in our best interest, we beg, we plead, we think we're going to wear God down, but we're not. He's not just going to give you everything you want because he knows what you have need of before you even ask. Make it a little plainer. There's a country song that says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. If some of you had got what you prayed for, if some of you had gotten the one you prayed for, your life would be a whole lot different. You better be thanking God for unanswered prayer. Here he's addressing something a little different, though. Assuming that what you're asking for is within the confines of the will of God, it is good, it's not an evil request, and assuming 
that it makes sense for your life. When we pray, when we seek God, many times it's not even about asking for things. It's really about searching for answers. And when we pray, we seek God, we look for those answers. It's hard to keep looking for answers when they don't seem to come. It's hard to keep searching when it doesn't seem like you're finding anything. But Jesus seems to suggest that we should not quit. Matter of fact, later in Scripture, in Hebrews eleven six, it says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So he desires us for seeking for him. And then Jeremiah 29, 13 says, If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. When we are persistent with God about the things that we are in need of, the answers that we are looking for, the help that through the situations that we don't have the answers for, God responds. The verse, though, is not a license to ask God for the frivolous. Well, he said, ask and I'd receive. You don't need to keep knocking on God's door for a Mercedes if you can't afford the payments. You don't need to keep seeking for a home that is three times your price range. He asks you also to be content. That's also part of the kingdom life. And sometimes you might need to settle for the beater instead of the Mercedes if that's what you can afford. So don't be mad at God when he doesn't answer you with something that you probably shouldn't have been asking for to begin with. Too many times we get frustrated with God because he doesn't answer the way we think he should. Many times we're asking for things that clearly violate other parts of Scripture. Here, I believe that his instruction, though, in asking, seeking, and knocking are dealing with things that are within the confines of a proper relationship with him within his kingdom, within the priorities and principles of his word. After all, in the previous chapter, he tells us to take no thought for tomorrow, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, because I take care of sparrows and I take care of lilies, and I will take care of you. He also says in Matthew 6, 33, just a few verses before we started today, he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness in all these things will be added to you. Remember, that's all part of the same message that Jesus is sharing that day. If we'll seek first the kingdom, then your asking, seeking, and knocking makes a whole lot greater impact because your heart is panting or yearning after the right things. You are seeking first his kingdom. Again, it's not our way, but it is the way of the kingdom. And then when you are pursuing the kingdom, seeking first the kingdom and his righteousness, then what you're asking for, what you're seeking for, what you're knocking for is going to be aligned with the will of God for our lives. Now, the first thing he tells us to do is ask. And in asking, to me, that indicates things that we are wishing for. Again, within the confines of the will of God. What is it that you're truly wishing for, hoping for? What dreams has God put in you that you're asking for him to bring to pass? Jesus says to continue asking, and you will receive. Now, the next part, he says seeking. And seeking, to me, indicates things that we've lost. What things have you lost this morning? Have you lost your joy, your peace? Have you lost your confidence? Are there some things that you once had in your life but are now gone? Jesus says keep seeking and you will find. Knocking, to me, indicates those things which we feel shut out of. Are there some things you're reaching for in God, some prayers you've been praying to where you feel like there's a brass ceiling, like every time you pray it just bounces back at you, keep on knocking, keep on knocking. Why? Jesus says keep knocking and eventually every door is going to be open to you. 
And so Jesus really is telling us that we need to choose the way of persistence. Choose persistence. Persistence is a kingdom choice. You can choose to give up. You can choose to quit. You don't have to keep pressing forward. You don't have to keep asking, keep searching, keep knocking. You don't have to, have to but perhaps your answer is just around the corner. Perhaps it's just another knock away. Perhaps it's under that thing in the corner that you haven't moved yet. Go over there and just search a little longer. God's got the answer that you're looking for. Just keep asking, seeking, and knocking. Be persistent. Because God is our Father. And if you, being a dad, know how to give good gifts to your children, you better believe that our Father in heaven has every intention of giving the good gifts he has planned for your life. Can you say amen? I thought about this earlier this week. For those of us that are parents, I think you'll understand this. Sometimes children are changeable. The thing that they are begging for today, next week is a distant memory. They're on to something new. I remember when our daughter was younger, Abigail, I can remember... The, I can't remember the item now, but I remember her being so adamant. And I knew that there was nothing wrong with what she was asking for. It just wasn't, the possi- it wasn't possible financially at the moment for us to do it. And I thought, well, when I can, that's something that you know, we should probably do for her or get for her. And so a few weeks later, I hadn't heard anything about it. And I said something to Davina. I was like, we got the money right now to do it. Maybe we should go and get so-and-so for Abby. But Davina was like, no, I don't get that. She's on to something else. She ain't mentioned that in a few weeks. And if we as parents run out and we respond to every immediate wish, to every immediate request, because let's be honest, if sincerity is the judge by which we decide whether we will answer or not, we will make a ton of mistakes because my daughter will sincerely want this today and sincerely not even remember it tomorrow. Sometimes we're that way with God. We sincerely want this, God. This is the thing. This is my dream. This is what I want to do. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to accomplish. But if God doesn't do it right now, we lose interest. And suddenly we discover that this, this is the thing, God. This is what I want. If God answered immediately on every request we make, do you know how spoiled rotten we'd be? how useless we would really be in the kingdom. We treat God like he was a sugar daddy in the sky, like he was the slot machine, throw in a quarter and wait for money to come out. Rub the genie three times and ask your wish. That's not my God, but that's how we treat him if he responded that way. Instead, do you know what I learned as a parent is that the things that my kid sticks with, the things that they keep coming back to, the things that they desire and it doesn't fade, those are the ones that after they've asked for a little while, after even perhaps they've started to try to come up with a way to get it for themselves, after they've done enough to show me this is really important to me, Dad, then I'm excited to be able to step in and give them what they have need of or ask for. Jordan, when he was a kid, I remember he'd been asking for a specific baseball bat. It was a black and orange DeMarini bat, and it was an expensive one at the time, and he kept bringing it up. He'd send me pictures. He'd find some on eBay that were for sale. He found used ones. He was even going to Goodwill and buying baseball equipment. He bought gloves and cleats, and he was selling them on eBay to make money to get the bat that he wanted. And when I saw his persistence, when I saw his desire to get it, it made me want to help him get over the finish line. Why? Because he's willing to do what it took. And and, and same thing is with God. Let's say you say, I am called to be a missionary. That's the thing I want to do. But you don't even study another culture other than your own. You ain't putting no effort in. 
But if you're called to be a missionary and you desire it and you want it and you book trips to go over and visit that culture and you learn the language, I think God is ready just to say, you know what, open the door, baby. Let's go do what you want to do. Why? Because I'm doing my part and I just need you to get it across the finish line. If I, being human, know how to give good gifts to my children, not frivolous gifts, if I've learned how to give good gifts to my children, how much more does my heavenly Father give good gifts to me? So, Right after Jesus talks about not being critical and being persistent, he then makes a statement that for many has become the epitome of all of Christianity. According to Jesus, it summed up all the law and the prophets. Matthew 7 and 12, it says, Do to others whatever you'd like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. You and I know of it as the golden rule. When I was in school, I remember Miss Tisdale, my second grade teacher, we used to get Smokey the Bear rulers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, we had, anytime there was fire, uh, forest fire prevention week, they would come and somebody would be dressed up like Smokey the Bear and they would bring us these wooden rulers and, um, and you know, uh, only you can prevent forest fires. Um, and uh, she, they would give us these uh, rulers and she collected all of them and she spray painted them gold. And she wrote the word golden rule on one side, and then she wrote this verse, Matthew 7, 12, on the others. I wish school was like that today, don't you? Listen to this verse from the message. It gives such a cool flavor. Here is a simple rule of thumb. It's a rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you. Then grab the initiative and do it for them. Add up God's law and prophets, and that is what you get. Ask yourself, what is it that I want people to do for me? How do I want people to treat me? Then go do it for them. Take all the law and the prophets and wrap it up, and that's what you get. What we call the golden rule was cited in negative form in the writings by Jewish rabbis, most of the other Eastern religions. They would say, before Jesus, they would say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And to be honest, we probably prefer it that way. We probably live it out that way. Don't be mean to people. They won't be mean to you. Don't do bad stuff to others. They won't do bad stuff to you. But in fact, Jesus takes it to a whole other level when he says, do unto others what you want them to do to you. You want people to love you, you got to love them first. You want people to respect you, you got to show respect. You want people to show kindness and generosity, you got to be kind and generous first. To me, this is calling to remembrance Jesus' command about judgment, condemnation, forgiveness. What you do determines what's done back to you. The same measure that you dish it out is what it's going to come back to you. Again, you make the choice. You decide. You make the call. You do to others what you want done back to you. Now, at this point, I think there's a huge shift in the message. And to be honest, this is where I'm going to make a shift as well. The golden rule was the crowning moment of the message, if you will. It was the moment that he had built up to. I've been sharing all these things with you. I've been giving you all these principles to live by. I've been telling you all this stuff. And this is why. If you want people to treat you right, you got to treat them right first. I mean, that's literally what he's saying. If you want to do right in the kingdom, if you want the kingdom to live and exceed and bless others and be all the things that I desire for it, you have to set the pace. You have to make the choice to do it first. I've shown you how the law asks for some things. And then I've shown you how what I'm asking for exceeds the level of the law. And now I'm calling my kingdom to a place of decision, a place of choice. You choose how you will live. Do unto others 
what you'd want done for yourself. Understanding that Matthew 5, 6, and 7 was a sermon, Matthew 7, 13 through 27 is really Jesus' conclusion, or maybe we would call it his altar call. Jesus' teaching is powerful, but his words do absolutely no good for us if we don't apply them and practice them in our life. This is just a good book. That's why people call it sometimes the good book. It's just a good book unless you take what's inside, apply it to your life, bury the words in your heart. The, Bible, the, the psalmist said, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's when we put the word into our life and begin to live it out that it makes the most impact. For the conclusion of this message, he really gives us three choices as to what kind of disciple we're going to be. Are we going to live in the kingdom or are we going to make a different choice? Jesus uses a rabbinical technique, technique that would have been used in synagogues. You find it throughout scripture where a principle is repeated in three different ways or a term is used in three consecutive examples. Each one progresses or growing in intensity. He had just used it a moment ago where he said, ask, seek, and knock. As each layer is built, each of these levels grows in intensity. So Jesus starts with Matthew 7, 13 through 14. He says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. So the first set of kingdom choices that Jesus throws to us is this comparison between two roads. Two roads. A narrow gate, a difficult way. A wide gate, a broad way. Life or destruction. Comparisons, yes. He's comparing these two things, and he's saying, look at this. These are your choices. This is what you've got to choose between. The Greek word translated narrow means restricted or confined. It almost gives the impression to you and I today of a road with guardrails that on each side that allow the traveler to stay within the confines of the way that he is going. The Greek word translated broad means open country. It's a word picture that describes a wide open country, no fences, no boundaries, and really they don't even care that they, if they have a road or not because they have no intention of staying on it. Its residents live their lives as undisciplined as they choose. They don't have to worry about getting off the road because, again, there's no road that they care about. Jesus says that the undisciplined road of so-called freedom will lead to their destruction. Here it literally says it will lead to hell. Remember, this is the teaching that Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's not talking to sinners. He's talking to people that he intended to leave the kingdom of God in their hands. So Jesus is letting us know that if we're going to choose the way of life, if we're going to choose his kingdom, it will at times cause us to live a disciplined life. To many, that may be narrow. It may be restrictive. But the disciplines in our life are necessary if we're going to be part of the kingdom. All right, two roads. The next comparison he gives us, Verse 15, Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. He says, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. 
Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and we performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Here, Jesus gives us two trees, a good tree and a bad tree. A good tree produces good fruit. Bad tree produces bad fruit. First, Jesus warns us about false prophets. False prophets are preachers who say they want the people say what they want people to hear, or peop, what they think people want to hear. On the surface, they seem okay. They look like sheep, but inside, where you can't see, lies the heart of a wolf. You may not be able to recognize them by their sheep's clothing, but Jesus says you will know them by their fruit. That is their actions. Their fruit, the practical long-term actions or effect of their teaching, identifies them either as good or bad. Now, we could spend an entire lesson talking about fruit. I don't have to do that today, but I do want you to notice the flow of the text of Jesus. He talks about false prophets. He tells us that we'll know them by their fruit. He then says that everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will not enter the kingdom of heaven, only those who are obedient to the will of the Father. And then Jesus says something. He says, I think many times it's lost in the modern church. He says that we would be known by our fruit. Many times in Christian circles, we're quick to look for spiritual gifts. We even do it in our growth track class. We encourage people to serve within their gifting. And we do a a spiritual gifts analysis quiz to try to determine what gifts you have in your life and try to find the places of ministry for them. People many times chase after gifts. Oh, this guy over here, he's got the gift of knowledge. We're going to run over here and see if we can learn something. And this guy over here, he's operating in the power gifts, and so we're going to chase after that. But notice Jesus doesn't say we're going to be known by our gifts. He says we'll be known by our fruit. Now, I'm not, I don't think there's anything wrong with spiritual gifts. I think we need them. I think they ought to be active in the church. I think Jesus uses gifts to help us to grow all of that. But it also puts restrictions and governance on them. He gives the pastor governance over that, and, and Paul does it in, in Corinthians. Why? Because we don't want this thing to turn into a circus, right? We want the gifts that we're portraying to be backed up with fruit that is being exemplified in our life. And then, as if to emphasize this, he says, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, is going to make it in. Verse 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. We operated our gifts. Even the devil was subject to us. We did amazing stuff in your name. Sorry, don't recognize you by your gifts. Mine are not known by their gifts. Mine are known by their fruit. Verse 23, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. The New King James Version says, you who practice lawlessness. The term practice lawlessness is a direct reference back to verse 13 and 14 where Jesus talks about the wide gate and the broad way where there were no restrictions, no rules. But we cast out devils. We operate in your name. We did mighty works for you. And Jesus says, because of your lack of discipline in spiritual matters, because you did not produce fruit, because you practice lawlessness, no restrictions, no discipline, I don't even know who you are. God knows everything. How is this possible? He knows everyone. He keeps track of the hair on your head, and all the hairs that fall off too. And yet he says, I don't know you. 
although they'd been filled with the Spirit, operated Spirit, because they had never allowed God's Spirit to lead them into obedience, he did not know them. These disciples will be utterly astonished at the judgment of God when they find out that the Lord didn't recognize them as his children, as members of his kingdom. Because the relationship needed in the kingdom was not there because of their unwillingness to be obedient to the principles that Jesus was teaching. Now again, I know, if we see somebody casting out devils operating in the spirit, we think they got it all together. But maybe, just perhaps, we should consider the two trees. Good tree, bad tree. Whatever spirit they are operating from, does it exist on the good tree? The choices that we make determine the kind of fruit we produce. And we will know the members of his kingdom based on the fruit that they produce. What's the fruit? Paul described it this way. And again, Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit, which are the way they act, which are their actions. Paul described them as love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Don't tell me that you love me and then don't treat me like you love me. Don't tell me that you have joy and walk around looking like you're sucking lemons. Don't tell me that you are about peace and that you're always, but you're always stirring up trouble. Don't tell me that you're patient and yet you run everybody over because you don't have time. Don't tell me that you're kind and then you treat everybody like you're mean as a snake. Don't tell me that you're good and yet you're very ungood at the same time. Don't, don't tell me that you're faithful and you're never around. Don't tell me that you're gentle and you operate like a bull in a china shop. Don't tell me that you have self-control and yet you blow up at everybody and you think something doesn't go your way. We will be known by our fruit. Those are the things that our king is looking for. Those are the things that are when they are evident in our life, the choices that we make, they are going to show up in the fruit that we produce on the tree that we are. And then to finalize Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey, it is foolish. Like a person who builds his house on sand, when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Let me read it to you from the message because this is kind of how we would say it. These words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. Two roads, two trees, and to end the sermon, we're given a story about two houses. Here, the point is being driven home as he concludes the sermon, giving choices, challenging people to decide whether they will live in his kingdom or not. Now, I've taught entire lessons on those four verses, and I don't have time to do that today, but I do think that there are some things we can see, especially in light of what we've been talking about today. There are many today who see the Word of God as an incidental addition to their life. They hear it preached, but they only obey its teachings if it's convenient to do so. And as a result, 
The house that they are building looks good on the outside, but the foundation, the part you can't see, is left non-existent. Obedience to the words of God is the foundation of the Christian life. Obedience is a way of the kingdom, and if we are to be in the kingdom, we must be obedient to the principles and the commands of the word of God. I've heard it said that Jesus is a gentleman, and I don't know about that, but I do know this. He gives each of us the ability to make our own choices. Hear the words and follow them, obey, or hear the words and ignore them. It's our choice. I want to choose obedience. So many times we partner obedience with our desire to do it our own way. Our parents told us to do something. We didn't want to do it. So in rebellion, we shook our fist and we disobeyed. Obedience feels like something that's forced upon us. But in Christ, obedience is a choice that we should desire to make. Because when we obey his word, we are obeying statements like, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavily burdened. I'll give you rest. Obedience lets me identify with words like, Don't worry about what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. Because I take care of birds and I take care of flowers and not one piece of hair falls off your head that I don't know about. So trust that I will take care of you. Obedience lets us embrace the fact that God says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Obedience lets me realize, although I may fall over and over again with his help, I can keep getting back up. Obedience lets me know that through him I can do all things because he gives me strength. Obedience to his word lets me know that even when I'm weak, he is my strength. And greater is he who lives within me than anybody that would come against me. When I choose to obey his word and surrender to him, his word comes alive and it makes a difference in my life. He doesn't force me down a certain road. He doesn't force you to be a certain tree. He doesn't force you to build your house on the rock. He simply sets the choices before us and allows us to do the choosing. I choose obedience. The foundation of a building is extremely important. For any builder in the house, they would tell you that although it's a part you can't see, it makes a difference every time. So you can fake a lot of things in front of me, in front of pastor, in front of your brothers and sisters here at church during the time of sunshine. But when the storm rises, who you really are comes to the forefront. There were times in my past on the outside, I probably looked like I had it all together. I knew how to act, write things to say. I was saved. I was a Christian. I had chosen Jesus in my life. I knew how to play the part. And that was okay, as long as the sun was shining. Mm. Storms always reveal the condition of the foundation. Again, in our minds, we want the outside of the house to look great, right? We want people to ride by and be like, "Woo, look at that nice house. We want our friends to comment how beautiful everything is. But Jesus is much more concerned with the foundation. Are you choosing to be obedient to my words? I discovered that my life had a lot of cracks in the foundation. There were things in my life that I was allowing, letting influence me. And before I knew it, there were parts of my life that were not living in obedience to God's word. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't going around choosing to do a bunch of bad stuff. I just was choosing not to include Jesus in on the process. And the storms revealed the cracks when my life began to fall apart, when there were answers that I needed, and I just went ahead and found them for myself instead of trusting God and continuing to ask, seek, and knock. It was revealed the depth of the wrong choices that I had been making and the impact it was making on my life that I was trying to lead. 
it began to reveal that my obedience to his word in some areas had allowed me to build a foundation that was not in the right location. And my foundation was cracked and it was built on sand. Two houses, rock or sand, my obedience makes the choice. But it's my choice. I had a pastor who used to make a statement referring to us as humans. He said that we have a free will to make our own choices. We are free to choose whatever we want to choose up until the time of the choice. And then the choice controls the chooser. And I think that's true to a point. We understand that we are given the ability to choose for ourselves the life we lead, the decisions that we make. And once those choices are made, the consequences of the choices we're stuck with, right? I've said this before. You eat fat, greasy food, you become a fat, greasy dude. You make the choice, you live with the consequences. You don't get to make wrong choices and not face the consequences of the choices. We are the sum total of all of our choices. Choices that you made yesterday, choices you made 20 years ago, choices you made on good days, choices you made on not so good days, choices that you made when you thought nothing could ever hurt you, and choices that you made when you were suffering through pain and agony because of the choices that you had made already. Choices that you made that turned out wonderfully and choices that you agonized over that blew up in your face. Choices. We all are a series of choices. And those choices impact everything that we've been, everything that we are, and everything that we hope to be. Financial choices, relationship choices, employment choices, business choices, educational choices, emotional choices, physical choices, and yes, spiritual choices, kingdom choices. And we are controlled by our choices. Many times, because of the choices that we've made, we feel like failures. We feel doomed to continue down a path that seems like it will never end. We can't do what we want or even what we could probably be best at because we made choices in the past that are controlling us in the present. Choices. Controlled by the choices that we've already made. And if that's the case, what hope do we have? I wish I'd chosen the kingdom. Pastor Rodney, I wish I had chosen the narrow road. I I wish I had chosen to be a good tree that bears good fruit. I, I wish I'd chosen to be obedient. I wish I'd chosen to build my life on the rock, but I made wrong choices. And now my life is controlled by the choices that I've made. What hope can you offer me right now? That's the beauty of connecting to Jesus. With Christ, there's this intervening factor. There's this experience that interjects itself into my life When I make the right choice. When we choose Jesus in spite of our past mistakes, in spite of all our wrong choices, the consequences of our bad choices, while they're still there, most likely i got to deal with them, his grace comes in and makes a whole different ending for my life. I look back on my life and I remember so many wrong choices that I made, stupid choices, dumb decisions, things that seemed right in the moment, but when I look back, they were obviously not the decisions I should make. Some of those decisions carried hard consequences, consequences that aren't easy to overcome. And yet, the decision I made in spite of all the bad ones, my choice to reconnect my life to Jesus Christ and to give him my all and everything was the difference in my ability to overcome the laundry list of bad decisions. John Maxwell, a tremendous author and speaker, says, I cannot begin again, my friend. I can start today, though, and I can create a brand new ending. In spite of the choices that you made in your life, in spite of the decimation that you've seen and dealt with because of bad choices that you've made, in spite of all that, this morning you got up, you got out of bed, 
and you chose to come to church. You made a choice. You said, in spite of the life that I've lived up till now, today I'm making a choice. I don't know if it's going to turn out great. I don't know if it's going to be worth my time or not, but I'm choosing. I'm choosing, I'm choosing, I'm choosing, and I'm not going to tell you that that one choice wiped out all the bad choices that you ever made. But when I choose Jesus, when I say, Lord, I choose to make you Lord of my life, when I choose to acknowledge my mistakes, my failures, my shortcomings, my sins, and I choose to acknowledge my need for a Savior, the Bible says that if any man chooses to be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away and all things become new. Today, you're at a crossroads. You stand looking in two different directions, standing with two choices. I wish I could choose for you. I truly wish I could. If you'd stand with me today and the musicians would come. Throughout the Bible, there were men who stood where I stand this morning, encouraging, prompting, pushing people to consider their choices. Elijah stood before the prophets of Baal and said, How long are you going to stand here halting between two opinions? If God is God, serve him. If Baal is Baal, if Baal is God, serve him. But you got to choose. Joshua stood before the Israelites, presented how many times God had been faithful to them, to care for them, provide for them, fight for them, guide them. And he says, choose today who you're going to serve. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Today, God gives us the ability to choose. The choice is yours. See, you can choose to wallow in the results of all the choices you've ever made. You can choose to say, you know what, my life is just going to be terrible because I made some dumb decisions and I don't know how to get out of them, and so I'm just going to choose to wallow in this. There's plenty of people in our world today who blame everybody else. They blame the world around them. They don't ever want to take responsibility for the choices that they've made, and they continue to wallow in self-pity over the things that they've done. You can choose to be that way if you want to, or... You can choose to go a different direction, to pursue a new path, to choose Jesus. See, the moment you make the choice, the moment you make that decision, Jesus comes running. The Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice, and you get to begin a new life in Christ. Today, if you feel like you are at the crossroads... Start staring down choices, living down bad choices, wishing you'd made better ones. I'm inviting you to choose differently. I want to invite you to come today to this altar. We make altar calls around here. We give you an opportunity to take what you've heard and cement it or stand with it and say, I'm going to believe this and I want to make sure I connect to Jesus over this today. I want to invite you to come. Choose to step out from where you are and walk a new path. Choose to be something different. Choose to be new in Christ, to say, Jesus, I choose you. Regardless of what life looks like for you right now, regardless of the condition of your heart, regardless of the condition of your foundation, even if today you feel far from God or perhaps everything around you seems like it's so far from God and you can't get past it to get to God, or perhaps everyone thinks you're close to God, but deep down you know you're not. As long as there's breath in your body, you have the chance to rectify the bad choices by making one choice that changes everything. Today, it's time to choose.
Every head bowed, every eye closed across this auditorium. Father, I thank you for to this day. And I thank you for your word. I thank you for the, that you give me the choice, God. You don't force yourself on me. You don't tell me this is how I have to live. You give me the choice. But in choosing, God, I get so much more. And so today, God, I choose obedience. I choose persistence. I choose not to be judgmental. And I choose to be an encourager. When faced with choices of two roads, help me to choose the right road. Faced with the choice of being two, one of two trees, help me to bear fruit that makes an impact in our world. And when building my house, the life that you've given me, God, let me build it on something that will last on the rock that you put before me, the rock Christ Jesus. Let my life be impacted, Lord, by the choices that I make so that I can be impactful to the world around me. And I thank you for your kingdom and help me to be in it in Jesus' name. This altar is open today. If you'd like to come and solidify your choices, today's a great day to do it. And I thank you for being here today. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. From death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. I'll testify. By Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm justified. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. This is my testimony. From death to life. Cause grace rewrote my story. Things are still to come. Oh, I believe if I'm not dead.
All the things we've done wrong, we justified in His presence. If you don't know what the word justified means, I heard, heard an old preacher say one time, it just means just as if I'd never sinned. That's the beauty of coming into relationship with Jesus. Can you say amen? Now, there's a lot of people that are, we're all different. Aren't you thankful for that? There's some people that they hear a message like this. I'm going to make the choice and they come running to choose. There's other people, sometimes it takes them a while. I'm a little like that. I like to think about it. I like to think about what's been said. I'd probably go home and read it myself and check it out and make sure it was telling the truth. You know, I, I'm a little bit like that. I'm a little bit like that. And so today, if you're here, and, and maybe you know you're at the crossroads yourself. You know the life you've lived up till now hadn't been good. and You want to make changes. You want to see something different in your life. You want to make the right choices. For those of you maybe still standing in your seat you didn't come to the altar that's okay because Jesus is not just up here he is everywhere and so today as you all know I'd like to close out my messages with just a little declaration just something we say to God to, to kind of cement some things in our minds almost a prayer to him and so today I'd like to do it and this one's a little different if you've already made your choices and you are solid as a rock and you don't have any wavering in you, that's great. But for all the rest of us, I want you to join with us because sometimes we don't always get it right. And so for those that may be even far from God or those that are on their journey, I want everybody to join in and do this one together with us today. You can close your eyes, bow your head, or you can keep your eyes wide open. But just repeat after me as we do this. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful that you chose me that you died for me in spite of all my bad choices and today I choose you right now in this moment I choose to surrender my heart to surrender my life to you I've made lots of mistakes I've done lots of things wrong but today, I begin a new path. I'm choosing to pursue you. Forgive me of all the wrong. Cleanse me of my past mistakes. I recognize that I need you. I invite you into my life. Help me to be better, to grow, to surrender. And I surrender my life into your hands today I'm choosing to be different today I choose you in Jesus name let's rejoice and thank him for what he's done today God we thank you we thank you we thank you hey thanks for watching be sure to subscribe to this channel so you never miss one of our videos or live streams in the future. Also, take a moment and share this with a friend. Be sure to join us 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. each week live as we celebrate Jesus together here at Life Church. God bless you.